Grace, mercy, and peace to you, beloved, in the name of our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. The text is the appointed gospel lesson, and we're going to consider the great and glorious light of gospel preaching. Paul, the great apostle Paul, wrote these words. You heard them earlier. The word of the cross is folly. Folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The word of the cross is the euangelion that Pastor Ziegler preached about last week. The euangelion. The word of the cross is that word of the gospel, that wonderful word that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That wonderful word that Jesus is the way. He is the way back to God the Father, the only way back to God the Father. The word of the cross is that word of the gospel, that Jesus, God's Son, came to earth to bleed, suffer, die, and rise for us and our salvation. And this word of the cross The word of the gospel, the euangelion, as Paul tells us, is folly. It's foolishness. The actual word that Paul used here is moros. You don't recognize that, but you recognize the word moron. That's where we get the word moron. The word of the cross is moronic to those who are perishing, to those who are on the wide and easy road leading to eternal destruction. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And so praise God that God puts power into a word, into the word of the cross, the word of the gospel, and that power is the power to save. Praise God that we have the opportunity, the privilege, the freedom to gather here in God's house and hear that word of the gospel proclaimed to us. Just as our kids have the privilege, the honor, the freedom to come to our schools and have that gospel there in the classroom each and every day. Praise God that we treasure We treasure this word of the gospel, this word of the cross that's preached and taught to us. And our prayer is is that God would enable it to continue to be preached here, be taught here, and that God would open up many, many more doors for this gospel to be spoken, to be heard, to be proclaimed. And so in today's gospel lesson, Jesus is at the beginning of his earthly ministry. The events that we've already heard at this point in Epiphany, the season of Epiphany, are past. Of course, the wise men, some three decades earlier, had come from the east to worship an ordinary baby by the name of Jesus as God and then to present to to him their gifts. Jesus has already been baptized in the River Jordan by John the Baptist. The Father has already declared his divine pleasure in his Son, the Spirit equipping him, descending upon him in the form of a dove for his ministry. 
And as we heard last week, the Baptist is already pointed to Jesus and declared of Jesus, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And now, as Matthew tells us in the opening words of the gospel, the Baptist, John the Baptist ministry, public ministry is essentially over. John had been arrested. He's now under lock and key, held prisoner by King Herod. And as we know from later on in the gospel, his life would soon be over-ended. And now Jesus is taking up his three-year public ministry. Still with this horrible treatment afforded to the forerunner, to John the Baptist, by his arrest and imprisonment, by this powerful and ruthless man by the name of King Herod, this did not prompt our Lord to lay low, as we might say, to go into hiding. True, it kind of sounds like that as Matthew writes that Jesus withdrew into Galilee. Withdrew into Galilee. Remember, Galilee is the, under the jurisdiction of King Herod. King Herod is tetrarch, that is ruler of Galilee. Still, it is significant that Jesus left that area where John had been active, where John carried out his public ministry around the area of the Jordan. Still, as Matthew tells us, Jesus did not go directly from there into Jerusalem. Would would have been quite close to go there. Jerusalem being the religious center of the Jewish people, of course, we know. Instead, Jesus went north, went into Galilee, an area populated both by Jews and non-Jews. And again, in Galilee, Jesus didn't choose to go back to his hometown, a secluded and quiet place of Nazareth. Instead, he moved to Capernaum, to a village This village is on the northwest shore of the Sea of Galilee. It was rather prominent, rather populated as compared to Nazareth, and it was situated on an important trade route. There, as we heard in the gospel, he would call disciples, Andrew and Simon. We know him as Peter, James, and John. Later, he would call Matthew, the tax collector, to follow him. And in going into Going north into Galilee, Jesus was fulfilling the scriptures. Matthew quoted it for us. The Old Testament prophet Isaiah. The Old Testament prophet Isaiah, after he predicted that wonderful verse that we remember during Christmas, the virgin shall conceive and give birth to a son. You know the rest. And before he spoke another very famous passage that we know about, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. In fact, in that same chapter, he wrote these words about the land of Zebulun, about the words, the the land of Naphtali, Galilee of the Gentiles, how the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. Light. 
Jesus as the light of the world. This is an important theme in Epiphany. And also an important theme is the idea of evangelism, of speaking this truth as Pastor Ziegler reminded us as Andrew went out and found Simon last week. The light of Christ is closely tied to this word of the cross that I brought up earlier, the euangelion, the word of the gospel. And that's likely what Matthew had in mind as he quoted Isaiah. Because, as Pastor Ziegler said last week, this euangelion, this word of the cross, the word of the gospel, it's meant to be shared. It's meant to be spoken. It's meant to be taught. It's meant to be preached. And that's exactly what Matthew puts before us. Because right after quoting this prophecy from Isaiah, you'll notice that right after the quote from Isaiah, Matthew wrote, From that time Jesus began to preach. From that time Jesus began to preach. So Jesus is the light of the world. John wrote that in his gospel. And in a few weeks, at the end of the season of Epiphany, Transfiguration Sunday, we'll hear about Jesus radiating that blinding light on the holy mountain. But here, it seems to me that light, the idea of Jesus being light, being a great and glorious light, is fixed in the words that he shared, that he spoke, that he taught, that he preached. Now, of course, as we gather here, we, we as Christians are quite familiar with preaching, with sermons. Each time we gather together, what are you going to hear? <laughs> You're going to hear preaching. You're going to hear a sermon. It's rather fascinating a bunch of people sitting for 20 minutes listening to a sermon. So it doesn't take long for Christians to become quite familiar with preaching, quite familiar with sermons. Still, we know that old saying. Familiarity breeds what? It breeds contempt. Familiarity breeds contempt. And so as sinners, the more we become familiar with the thing, the more we tend to look down on that thing. And of course, this could happen with any of God's gifts, any of God's good gifts. And it happens also with gospel preaching. So this morning, I'd like us to review what we can learn about gospel preaching from our text this morning. First, our Lord shows us that preaching... Gospel preaching is connected to messages proclaimed by God's faithful servants from the past. Okay, so Matthew makes it clear that Jesus wasn't saying anything new. Again, in our text, from that time Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, that should sound familiar because that's exactly what John the Baptist preached. Look back in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 3, verse 2. John said, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So when Jesus appeared, when Jesus went out preaching and teaching, he preached essentially the same message that John preached. True, 
true. If you look in the Old Testament, you will see how God slowly brought to light things that he had long kept hidden, things uh, that we needed to know, that people needed to know as the coming birth of Christ drew near. And so I've already mentioned two of those this morning in our sermon, those two verses from Isaiah. The virgin shall conceive and give birth to a son, and to us a child is born. To us a son is given. So gradually it was God's plan to reveal more and more about our Savior until finally it came time for our Savior to be born. Still, my point is, is that God's servants, the messages of God's servants is essentially the same. Jesus would say in John's Gospel, the scriptures bear witness about me. So Jesus is the heart and center of all the scriptures. And Peter, the Apostle Peter, when he went out preaching, he preached basically the same message of Jesus, basically the same message of the prophets before. In the home of Cornelius, a Roman centurion, with Cornelius and his family and friends gathered around, Peter declared, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him, that is in Jesus, receives forgiveness of sins through his name. So Peter was basically echoing what the prophets had said. The main purpose of the Old Testament, the Old Testament tells us lots of things, but the main purpose of the Old Testament is to tell us about the Savior who is coming. And the main purpose of the New Testament, again, the New Testament tells us lots of things, but the main purpose of the New Testament is to tell us about the Savior who has come. So Jesus, when he was on earth, he preached essentially the same message, albeit, it's true, in a great and glorious way, better than any other preacher before him or after him. But he preached essentially the same message as the faithful preachers before And the same should be true for Christian gospel preaching today. And so what you hear from me from this pulpit should be the exact same thing that you've heard for years and years from Pastor Ziegler. And Pastor Ziegler and I, we should be preaching exactly the same thing that pastors have preached before us. Going all the way back to the Reformation. All the way back to the early church. Friends, you have not gathered here to hear some new, some strange, some exciting message. You're here to hear truths that have long been handed down to you from generations past, all the way from biblical times, all in Scripture. Truths that by the Spirit are very dear to you, very precious to you truths that we will do everything in our power to pass on to the generations to come after us. That's why we have a Lutheran school. In the second place, Jesus shows us that Christian preaching, gospel preaching, it must include the message of the law. The law. And Matthew summarizes Jesus' law preaching with one word, that word, repent. Repent. 
Now you know what repentance is all about. Repentance is about seeing your sins. Repentance is being sorry for your sins. Repentance means realizing what you deserve from God for your sins. His punishment now and His punishment throughout eternity. Repent means turning from what is bad, from sins and all that displeases God, and turning toward what is good, those things that are pleasing to God. And again, as I mentioned with preaching in general, so too with the preaching of repentance. It doesn't start with Jesus, and it doesn't end with Jesus. So our Lord calls men. In the text today, he calls Peter and Andrew. He calls James and John. As I've mentioned, he will call Matthew the tax collector and many others to be his disciples. He would designate 12 of these men to be his apostles, to be his official public witnesses of his ministry, his life, death, and resurrection. And Jesus, before he ascended into heaven, he specifically commanded these men not just to preach the gospel, but to preach the law in addition to the gospel, to preach repentance in addition to the forgiveness of sins. And that's evident throughout the book of Acts. When the apostles preached in the book of Acts, they preached also a message of repentance. Recognize your sins. See what you deserve from God for your sins. For example, on Pentecost, Peter preached, Repent! Repent! And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. Why? For the forgiveness of your sins. Paul, too, in his ministry. And here are some words that he wrote to a young pastor by the name of Timothy, speaking about preaching. He said, be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort. Those are law words. And Paula went on to explain why such preaching is necessary. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. People will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their, to suit their own passions. So that goes back to what I said earlier about why we want to hear over and over again the message that we have heard time and time again. May God protect us. May God protect all people from what we might call an itching ear syndrome. An itching ear syndrome. That sin of wanting to hear something new, something strange, something exciting. And so you know that if a, pe a pastor preaches the law, if a pastor upholds the law, that's not legalism. That's not being legalistic. Legalism or being legalistic is teaching or preaching, communicating the fact that salvation is by works, by what we do. And it's not by God's grace in Jesus it's not through faith in Jesus. Being legalistic or legalism is also preaching about or upholding 
the letter of the law rather than the spirit of the law. And so we see in the book of Acts how some insisted that the Gentile converts, they must be circumcised, they said, and be taught to keep the law of Moses. That is legalism. That's being legalistic. And it's also legalism or legalistic to preach the letter of the law or the law just simply for the sake of preaching the law. Christians preach the law. They teach the law to prepare sinners to hear and believe the gospel. Because without the law, without the realization of sin and what we deserve for sin, the gospel is going to be folly. That word of the cross is going to be folly. It's going to be moronic. Why do I need a Savior if I don't need saving? And that's why, as we heard, Jesus went on and preached more than just repent. Jesus preached more than the law. In the third place, Jesus also preached the gospel. He preached the good news, the euangelion, the word of the cross, that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, in saying this, Jesus didn't mean the kingdom was at hand or near, would soon arrive in the same way John the Baptist did as he preached this same message. What Jesus meant is that the kingdom of heaven is here, now, in him. Because Jesus, of course, is the king of heaven. And so wherever the king of heaven is found, there the kingdom of heaven is found as well. And that's great news. That's good news. That's the euangelion. Because when Adam and Eve fell into sin, God banished them. God banished them from his presence, banished them from the bliss of Eden, banished them from the tree of life. But God in the Garden of Eden promised a way back, a way back. He promised that one would come to crush the head of the serpent. And that way back... That only way back is God's Son, Jesus. And the way back to heaven, we don't have to find that way back to heaven. That way back to heaven comes to us, descends to us in Jesus Christ. So when Jesus appeared, heaven's kingdom appeared as well. And that's glorious gospel, as I said. That's good news to us. And this good news doesn't change according to the situations we face in life. Jesus would go on and preach in his famous sermon, the Sermon of the Mount, in Matthew chapter 5, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then he would say, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Again, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So according to Jesus' words, it doesn't matter poverty or persecution. And we could add to this. It doesn't matter our emotional state, our status of our health, our economic status, our level of education, our standing in society. None of these things can change our status as citizens of God's kingdom. In fact, I would suggest that these things only tend to highlight that and make these things all the more precious to us. That Jesus is heaven's king and we are citizens of God's kingdom. 
So think about the last time that you were weighed down by some heavy burden. And your pastor called you. Your pastor visited you. Maybe a good Christian friend talking with you, sitting with you. Perhaps sharing a few Bible verses, praying with you, sympathizing with whatever situation. Did your burden go away? No. But you received a sense of peace, a sense of hope, a sense of confidence and assurity that whatever you're facing doesn't change the fact that Jesus is still your heavenly king and that you are still a member of God's heavenly kingdom. And this is exactly what people need to hear what people long to hear, what people want to hear, what people yearn to hear when they know that they are dwelling in darkness and in the region and the shadow of death. And so we gather here because we know that we follow a long line of sinners before us. Like the generations before us, sin is always with us. We sin against ourselves. We sin against others and we sin against God. Every day, sin evidences the fact that we will one day die. For the wages of sin is death. And deep down, we sense that death is unnatural. It's not natural. And the Bible backs us up on that. When God created Adam and Eve, He created them to live forever. Death is proof of sin. Death shows us something is terribly wrong. We are broken people. But thankfully, when Jesus preached, he didn't preach that the kingdom of heaven would soon arrive. He tells us that when he comes, heaven's kingdom is there. And our heavenly king makes it possible for sinners like us to enter heaven's kingdom. And he does that by living the life that we should live, the life that God demands of us, and then by paying the penalty that we owe to God for our sins. Through faith in Jesus, heaven's kingdom is ours. And that's gospel. That's the euangelion. That gospel, that word of the cross, is the distinctive feature of Christian preaching, of gospel preaching. A Christian sermon shouldn't only warn you about the danger of sin. A Christian sermon should not only show you that you are sinners. A Christian sermon should not only tell you how to live your life in a way that brings glory to God and is helpful to your neighbor. A Christian sermon must, it must tell you about Jesus tell you how Jesus has saved you from your sins. And so if you go to church and you hear preaching, you hear a sermon, but you don't hear the gospel, you don't hear how Jesus suffered, bled, died, and rose again for you and your salvation, you have been cheated. Cheated. And so over the course of Trinity's recent history, I'm speaking 50 years back, you've only had one main preacher, though of course you've had a number of vicars and associate pastors in the pulpit before you. Now I have the honor of standing here in this pulpit. 
Though the ministers change and the preaching styles change, you have been blessed and privileged to hear this word of the cross, this word of the gospel, the euangelion, the great and glorious light of gospel preaching. Yes, we gather here realizing that to those who are perishing, this is folly. Why waste your time, 20 or so minutes, listening to preaching? But they aren't being saved. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The power of God. And so may this great and glorious light of gospel preaching continue to be preached here. Continue to be spoken to us so that we could speak it to others around us in our community. May God open up many, many doors for this gospel to be spoken. So may we continue to treasure this great and glorious light of gospel preaching until we see Jesus face to face. In Jesus' name, amen. Please rise. And now may the peace of God that surpasses all human understanding guard our hearts and minds in the one true faith unto life everlasting. Amen.